Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 3. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Marin IJ and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars, The Spirit of Adventures of a Real Bartender, and its sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, restaurant consultant and former community director of the online review site Yelp. Welcome, Kevin. Have a drink on me. Welcome back to the Barfly Podcast. Today we welcome H. Joseph Ehrman, owner-proprietor of Elixir, one of San Francisco's oldest saloons. It's also been named one of the best bars in the country by Esquire, GQ, to name a few. H. is also an award-winning bartender, cocktail innovator, consultant, spirits educator, and if that wasn't enough to keep him busy, he's also now the chief mixology officer for Fresh Victor a cool new company that produces a line of premium cocktail mixers made with cold-pressed juice. Wow, what an intro. Uh, Welcome, H. (laughs) Thanks. Just to kick things off, pretty uh, basic, but tell us a little bit about how you came to take over Elixir and turn it into one of the country's most popular bars. Follow-up to that would be, did you ever imagine that you'd go from like friendly neighborhood bar owner to brand ambassador, cocktail consultant, and ultimately a pioneer in the national cocktail movement? No, none of that was planned. The, the plan was to open a little bar that made money and then go back to an international career. <laughs> Been in the industry since 86, started as a prep cook and then a line cook. And I cooked for a number of years in different restaurants on the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey, so I started on the Jersey Shore in Long Beach Island at a little seafood place called Ot Sea Catch that had a Cajun chef who had previously worked for Paul Prudhomme. I, you know, went on and worked in a lot of different places. Anyway, you know, went to college, graduated college, worked through college, went to move to Vail, Colorado as a ski bum out of college. And that's where I started bartending. Long story short, went to grad school in Phoenix, bartended through grad school. And then after grad school, like I moved to Madrid and got out of the industry to use my MBA and uh, worked at a small PR firm. Father passed away suddenly and I came home to the East Coast, got into the tech business during the dot-com boom in enterprise software sales. That job lasted a year and I got recruited by an international company in Silicon Valley that gave finally gave me an international job because my MBA was from Thunderbird, the number one international business school at the time. So I had my eyes set on an international multilingual career and that job had me flying to Europe a lot, doing a lot of business in Ireland in particular and managing a global partner network. Like everything in the dot-com era, uh, I lost my job after nine months and there were no jobs like that available because everyone was out of work. I don't know if you guys were around at that time. Easily. <laughs> that, that was certainly an era. And, you know, I was living in Madrid, having a great time living in Spain and doing the Spain thing during most of the dot-com thing. I finished my MBA in 97. And so a lot of my friends went into that economy and to San Francisco in particular. And I got in at the tail end in 2000. So I was in Madrid hearing all these fabulous stories of parties and money, ridiculous parties and ridiculous money. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I got to get home and do that. But I'm like, meanwhile, I'm sitting at a tapas bar, loving life in Spain. So it was not making any money, but having a great life. And so to get finally to San Francisco, I was excited. And then it all imploded. And what I noticed was that everybody, all these unemployed people were in the coffee shops and bars. And so that was, I was like, all right, it, maybe it's time to finally open my own bar because I'd wanted to do it forever, but I didn't think I would do it till later in life. So I had, I actually got a job bartending and I helped open the, the fishbowl 
in Pack Heights. Oh, I remember that place. I used to go there. Paul, the owner, I was introduced to him on opening night and I looked around and I was like, you don't know what you're doing, do you? <laughs> I said, do you need to, you need some help? <laughs> so he hired me and I helped put in a lot of systems there with him. And I worked there for like six months and, and I was like, this guy's making money hand over fist. I, I maybe this is, I should be doing this. Cause I was trying to build, I was trying to build a, a, a soup company called Heartland Soups with a friend of mine from high school. And I, in that, I learned a lot of lessons that I apply today to Fresh Victor because it was cold, refrigerated, all natural, low fat, low sodium, all these things that nobody was doing. Doing in soup, you know, buying soup out of the refrigerator was not a thing then. Everybody's still used to canned soup and shelf stable, and that's essentially what we're doing with Fresh Victor. We're, we're changing the game and and cocktail mixers using actual fresh refrigerated ingredients instead of shelf stable. That's a big hurdle to get over, I'm sure. People are not used to seeing things like that in a refrigerated section, and it might give them a little bit of pause. Absolutely, and it, you know, it was a, it was daunting to try to do it in soup, and eventually. So daunting, I got out, but also because my partner not really managing the business as well as I as we could have, I, or we weren't, I don't know. Anyway, long story short, I got out of it and I opened my bar. I wrote a business plan, raised some capital, scouted around the city for a long time, looked at just about everything on the market, and finally stumbled upon Elixir, which was actually, ironically, a block from my house. I used to live across the street at uh, across the street from the 500 Club. I was actually sitting at the bar at Blondie's talking to Nikki and telling her I couldn't find the bar I wanted. And she's like, did you look at, at Jack's? Because it used to be called Jack's Elixir. Uh, I was like, no, it's not even on the market. She's yes, it is. So I went in there, I talked to the bartender and the bartender was like, yeah, this place is for sale. She showed me around a little bit and it was a dump. It was a total rundown dive. But I, I looked at that beautiful Victorian back bar and I looked around the room and then I walked across the street and I looked up at the building and I said, these people don't know what, they're, what they've got here. This is a real deal, Old West Saloon. So I, I made an offer right away and Long story short, I opened in November 21st, 2003, and the whole idea was to just open a, a, a neighborhood bar because a lot of my experience was in neighborhood bars. I wanted a neighborhood bar that was open all the time, made money every day, get it up and running and working well, hire the right people and put in the right systems place, then let them run it so I could go back to flying around the world, you know, working in Spanish and German and enjoying the $100,000 education I spent. <laughs> <laughs> The whole cocktail scene hadn't really developed at that point. I mean, there certainly were bars and bars are a big part of San Francisco, always have been. But this idea of the, you know, mixology or whatever you want to call it, this this notion of being more than just a neighborhood bar is kind of a, a new phenomenon. And you, you certainly were either wittingly or unwittingly at the forefront of that. It was pretty unwittingly. Like the first two years <laughs> of business, I was, I was, and if you know the neighborhood, you know, I was, I thought I had to compete with kilowatt and delirium and 500 club my neighbors you know which were all kind of you know divey local bars so i was selling cheap shots and cheap beer and had cheap customers <laughs> and, and you know after two years of getting all my systems in place and getting the place settled because you know it, it was a dump and i shut it down for two months and completely restored it like i say i didn't renovate it because i didn't rip anything out but i ripped everything down like I, I, there were like seven to ten coats of paint on the wood on the walls and i said this place is over 100 years old or about 100 years old at the time because it was you know the the original saloon was it dates back to 1858 but it burned down in 06 and the same owner rebuilt in 07 and so that's the building that we have in the bar that we got so i brought it back i literally like refinished every surface 
floor, ceiling, and walls. And so when we opened, I said people got more high on the fumes than the alcohol, but there was nothing on the walls. And so after two years of just getting used to setting up my systems and trying to serve shots and beers, I looked at my, my P&L and I said, I'm, I'm not making enough money here. And, and, and I was working every day and paying myself as a bartender. You know, it was growing and doing okay, but it wasn't meeting my expectations. And so I said, I, I got to make a bold move and try to do something cool with this or get out and just go get a job because the economy was recovering at that point. So I just said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do cocktails. And so I ordered a bunch of books and I, I, you know, I used my, leaned on my culinary background. I scrapped all of the, like the, the artificial finest calls and red maraschino cherries and <laughs> all that stuff. And I went all natural, started, started uh, juicing all my own juices. And I bought a bunch of books and researched recipes. And I launched my first cocktail menu in 2005 and I just kept tweaking it. And I, I also almost died that year because I had a I had a pulmonary embolism. As I was in the hospital for eight days, my cocktail book started showing up. So I wrote my first menu in the hospital. I was so upset, like I realized that I had bad customers because I had bad employees. And I, you know, when you're selling cheap stuff, you bring in a cheap audience. I fired like two thirds of my staff. I completely redid my menu. I started focusing on quality spirits. I had been collecting tequila, and then I made a decision that nobody was getting to know us as a tequila bar. So I started collecting whiskey, which fit more with the saloon. And was different at that point too. I mean, that wasn't something yeah. people were doing. Yeah, totally. Within six months, it, it turned around, you know, and then I started, I started getting press in the, in the weekly and the guardian and eventually the Chronicle and then went outside of San Francisco. And, you know, I, I was also talking about like not much happening. I, I was going to, and sitting at the bar at Absinthe and at Slanted Door. And, you know, I met, Jeff Hollinger and Johnny Ragland and Eric Adkins mm -hmm. and Frizon and I met Doug and McDonald and I think the other places like Reza Esmaili was at Pesce and David Nepov was at Enrico's. Most of these places are gone now, you know, but that's, those are the people and those are the places that were making fresh cocktails, good cocktails, classic cocktails. And we were all getting to meet each other and Dave Nepov and Marco Dionysus and the third was, there's three of them that started the, the the USBG chapter. That's the United States Bartenders Guild, right? Yeah, correct. And there, at that time, there were only, there's a Southern California chapter, the Las Vegas chapter. And I think those are the only ones that are active. I want to say there were four. I can't remember if the New York was not, might've been started, but not active. And I remember, I think I was like the 16th member. And suddenly I found this, like people eventually called it a click, but it was, it was a, a group of like-minded professionals. It's a niche. Yeah. Also ends in a E. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we take that for granted now. There's a lot. I mean, the whole idea of being a craft bartender didn't really exist before that. I mean, there were old school bartenders, right? And people who did a good job. But the idea of banding together with like-minded people was was a, a radically new idea. Yeah, totally. And I I had found my my tribe, if you will, mm -hmm. you know. And so now I not only did, not only was my business improving, but my life was improving. I made, I made all these new friends and I was going to these cool events and I was learning stuff all the time rather than just, I mean, I was always learning stuff as I was busting my butt to improve my business. But now was, I was learning the fun stuff of the culinary, the creative, the artistic. And I was with those, it's like, you know, an artist finding an art community. And we thrived on helping each other and visiting each other's bars 
And it was juxtaposed to what we were seeing in New York, where people kept, you know, I'm from New Jersey, so it was very East Coast, keep to yourself. And we were different. And I think that was one thing that set San Francisco apart initially. I think things have changed. I think COVID has been a big shock to that whole system. I Absolutely. mean, a lot of these bars have closed, people have moved on, the prices have got, gone up. I mean, there's still, a, there's still a lot of people doing those types, that type of thing, but I think that the economics are changing. Oh, for sure. Everything's changed. The last two years have been hell. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess everything changes. And, and uh, as I look up at our 18 year anniversary to make it 18 years, you have to you have to roll with the change. You know, I just it's funny because I said, you know, I as I mentioned, I, I opened the bar in the post dot com era when people were selling bars. There were a lot of bars on the market. It was the bottom of the market, which is always a good time to get in. Right. And I was I was fortunate for that because I also got the real estate, which is very odd and hard to do in the bar and restaurant business. Almost impossible now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, that was good for me, but now we're at a bottom again. There were, you know, I wouldn't even say there were better opportunities six months ago than there are now, but I never, I got into it because I had lost my tech job and I saw the, that, you know, I, I realized people drink in good times and bad. The bar business is very stable. I mm -hmm. could have never predicted that the government would shut down our entire business for a year, <laughs> our entire industry. Who saw that coming? And out of the blue, I mean, really yeah. just kind of within six weeks. And again, you, like you said, you count on good times and bad times, and all of a sudden, there's no time. So I was like, "Are you kidding me? I have to close my business indefinitely tonight." <laughs> right. But H, you got pretty creative during, as did a lot of business owners. Jeff and I have talked to a lot of restaurant owners to see how they adapted during. I mean, not that we're over the pandemic, but in the early days, how is you as a bar owner? I mean, what did you do to get creative to stay afloat? Well, the first thing I did was sell gift cards. I realized immediately that the biggest issue was going to be cash flow. Mm -hmm. So my first thought was we've got a lot of fans, we got a lot of followers and regulars, and they're all going to get it. So I signed up on Square. I started a Square account and I started selling Square because I could just get a link. And I just said, you know, if you love Elixir, please buy a gift card now. We'll serve you later when we're allowed to. We're going to have bills to pay in two weeks. You know, it was March 16th or something. We shut mm -hmm. down. And that worked. It got a, it got a big boost for the first you know five days plus. And some people were extremely generous buying you know thousand two thousand dollars in gift cards and stuff. While that was happening, I could put together a plan to because you know I, I got to as much as I would argue with and about the California ABC. I, I got to say they acted very quickly and gave us the ability to sell bottles, which was pretty shocking considering all the the history of the ABC. That was one of the most prescient four-sided things I've ever seen them do. And they did it pretty much without input from the industry. They just did Absolutely. it. And, and you look at other states like Massachusetts that took months to yeah. get there. I felt so bad. My friend Jackson Cannon in Boston was leading up the whole charge in Boston. I was like, months later, I was like, you mean they still won't let you sell cocktails to go? It's amazing. Those people should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> Well, and I think the ABC here should get more credit than they do. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. some people don't say enough about that, but that was that was an amazing decision on their part. Took a lot of balls and they did it. And also remember at the beginning of this pandemic, it was supposed to be four weeks. We're going to close down for four to six weeks. That was a long time ago. So don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today. Please join us next time for the season three finale with H. Joseph Herman of San Francisco's Elixir as we finish our conversation about mixology in San Francisco. My name is Jeff Burkhardt. Thanks for listening.